Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. I want to invite you right now, just where you are, just to close your eyes. Feel like the Lord's leading us into a time of, of reflection and to ask this. And I'm just going to lead you through a prompt and I'm, I'm going to leave it up to you as to whether or not you want to make that your own prayer. But this is what I feel like the Lord is leading us to pray. Father, what is it that is getting in the way of my ability to receive what you have for me this morning. So if you feel like that is a prayer that you can pray, you want to take yourself to that place and open yourself up in that way, I want to invite you just to pray that right now between you and the Lord. Father, what is it this morning that is keeping me from receiving what you have for me? As God reveals that to you, it might be an image of something, it might be words that come forward, it might be a relationship that's struggling, it might be some wound that you have, it might be sin in your life, whatever it is, I'm going to invite you to hold it up to the Lord right now as God shows it to you, as God brings it forward. Just take that thing and hold it up. Father, I give this to you. hand this over to you. I don't want this to be a thing that gets in the way between you and I anymore. Would you take this from me? And if it's sin, Father, would you forgive me for this? If it's connected with relationships, Father, would you allow me to let this go? And then finally, I want to invite you to do this. To pray this simple prayer. Father, I open myself to whatever you have for me this morning. Whatever the cost. Father, I open myself to whatever you have for me this morning, whatever the cost. Father, we are so grateful that you call us children and that you love us more than we can ever imagine. We are grateful that at any time, in any place, we can come to you and there's nothing that's in the way. Jesus, you have removed all the barriers. The curtain has been torn down. Sin has been defeated. We have direct access to the Father because of you and for that we are so grateful. Father, speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, stir in in our hearts and in this place. May we not be the same people that walked in this door. May we be changed and transformed because we've encountered you. We've come together as a community and worshiped you. Because of that, we should be changed. We should be transformed. Father, I ask for the courage to lay down at your feet whatever we need to lay down so that we can receive what you have for us this morning. Would you reach into our hearts you transform our minds to remove whatever needs to be removed in order to experience you on new in new ways and at new levels and new depths greater than we've ever had before this is our heart's cry this is what we ask of you we ask all these things 
the holy name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, I want to start with this illustration as I went back and forth on, on how to kind of communicate what I wanted to communicate this morning is we're in a series on the kingdom of God. <clears throat> That's what we're talking about. That's what we're going to talk about all summer. Um, so if you're, if you're here, please be with us. If you're not, you can listen online or you can listen later on on podcast um, on the ways you find podcast things, whatever that may be, Washington Church, Toledo. Uh, but this is the illustration that struck me and I wanted to share it with you. It's about lobsters. How many of you guys know about lobsters? Okay, yeah. If you're from the East Coast, you know about lobsters. Um, I had the privilege of, of growing up down in California and going to college in San Diego, and we would go down to uh, Mexico all the time. This is back before the stories that you hear about all the things that go on, and most of those are, are highly fabricated, but um, nonetheless. Um, and we would literally go down on the weekend, or uh, my roommate and I would wake up early. Um, if we had class at like 10.30 or 11, we would wake up, we would drive down, cross the border, because when you go cross the border in the morning, nobody's crossing into the border in the morning, everybody's coming out of Mexico to work. And we'd go down there and we'd surf, and then I'd come back and go to class in the same day. Uh, make it in time for chapel, and then, you know, on it was great. Um, it was a great time of life. But one of the things we'd do when we were down there, uh, if it was somebody's birthday, there was a special restaurant we would go to. And this special restaurant was, was all you can eat. And if you paid two more dollars, you can have lobster with the all you can eat meal. So if you're willing to splurge and pay the nine bucks, you got the lobster. And that was, a big, that was big. You know, nine bucks, that was a lot of money to pay for food back then. Um, our goal was usually to stay under four for the meals when we went out to eat. And, and you'd go down there, and it was, imagine, you know, it's, it's, it's about a 25-minute drive once you pass the border. Um, you pull into a small town outside of Rosarita, and there'd be literally a woman on this hot stone making tortillas as you walked in. I mean, it would, you're like, this place is awesome. And you'd gorge yourself, but you'd have to re <clears throat> leave room. But you'd start, and you'd end with lobster. That was the rule of thumb. Because if you're paying the extra two bucks, you, you'd want to eat as much as you could. Um, and it was fabulous. But lobsters are such a fascinating animal. And one of the things that is, is really fascinating about, about lobsters is how they go through their transformation process and how they grow. So I don't know if you are aware of, of crustacean, whatever it be, biology, but I'm going to inform you on crustacean bio biology. Because I've heard it said once that as pastors, we're experts at everything. So we just tell stories about all kinds of different fields of things, and nobody ever questions whether or not it's true. But every once in a while, you get somebody who knows what they're talking about, who comes up and informs you, like, that wasn't quite right, the story you had to tell. And then I just say, well, that's what Google told me, and so I'm passing it along. But the fascinating thing about lobsters, obviously, they have this hardened shell, right? And it's what protects them, and it's what keeps them from being exposed or, or um, eaten by, by different predators in, in the ocean, and they, obviously they have their, their things they attack with. But when they grow to a certain extent, the shell no longer holds them, and they have to actually molt the shell and leave it behind in order to grow a new one. And no lobster in, in their right mind willingly goes through this process. The only reason they go through this process is because they become so uncomfortable in the shell that they're in, because it hurts. Pain actually forces them into the next growth process. And so what they do is they actually look for a rock to hide under after they molt their shell, and they try and stay under there as long as they can until the new form of the shell begins to happen, and they feel comfortable enough to kind of venture out. Or they have to go find food, obviously, because they can't stay under the rock the entire time. But it's this process that they go through of shedding this shell and then regrowing this new shell. And, and growth cannot happen unless they do it. And I actually, I don't know enough to know well, what happens if they don't through, go through this process because it's just biology and, and they all go through the process. But I would imagine they'd probably die because the shell would actually penetrate their, their body and it would probably pierce them and kill them. So the same thing that, that serves them in such a great capacity and protects them um, is also so hard 
that it cannot, it's not flexible enough to grow with them as, as they change in life. Are you with me? Tracking with me? Okay. The same is true of the spiritual life. As we grow, the containers that we create of our understanding of God, of our way of seeing the world, of our way of seeing ourselves, has to be shed and dropped and let go of in order to venture into the next. And then a new one is formed, and it's a little bit bigger than the old one. Um, we don't go from tiny thing to massive thing. It just doesn't work that way. Because Sometimes that happens, but that's definitely the grace of God. But most of the time, it's a little bit of growth, a little bit of growth, a little bit of growth, until you realize, man, this, we're a full-grown lobster. But there's all this irony that's built in, because for the most part, I don't know about you, but growth requires change. And change is scary for many of us, most of us, probably all of us, in some degree or another. When the irony is the only constant thing in this world is change. So change is all around us. And so Jesus talks about this idea of growth and transformation in the spiritual life. And he uses different language, and we're going to look into that. He talks about wine and wineskins. But he, when, he, when he announces the gospel message of what he says is the gospel, he talks about this change that's absolutely necessary that has to take place in order to receive what God is doing in and all around us. So in the Gospel of Mark, that's where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles, Gospel of Mark chapter 1, we're going to go back to this verse that we looked at last week. And we looked at last week that Jesus emerges from his baptism, which is his kind of declaration where, where literally the Trinity lays hands on on Jesus and commissions him for ministry, and then he goes into the desert and does battle with Satan, essentially, um, is tempted, overcomes, defeats, and then emerges, and he begins his ministry at this point. His official ministry is where it happens. In verse 14 is where we're going to start. It says this, after John was put in prison, so this is John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So this is the word gospel. This is where we get our word gospel from. And last week we talked about well, what is gospel according to the culture that Jesus lives in. Because it's so vitally important for us to understand what does the scripture mean in light of the audience that it's written to. Because we can look at it all we want and we can come up with all kinds of great ideas of what we think it means. And that's oftentimes not helpful. So what we want to do is get back to the original idea of what, was the, what, is, what did Jesus truly mean when he used that word gospel that we throw around all the time. And in that time, gospel was three things. The word euangelion in the Greek. It meant one, a victory was won in battle. Two, a son or an heir to the emperor was born. Or three, there is a new emperor that has risen. And that's what gospel meant. At the time. And so when Mark uses this language of gospel, he's referencing the culture of the Roman Empire in the background whenever he's talking about what he's talking about. And so we talked about last week, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't, that essentially in this space, Mark is making a proclamation that one, victory has been won, but it's not Caesar that won the victory, it's Jesus. Number two, a son has been born, but it's not an heir of Caesar's, it is the Christ. And number three, there is a new ruler, but it's not Caesar, it's Jesus. So Jesus goes on to say, the gospel is here, the kingdom of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, believe, and believe the good news. So the kingdom of God, we talked about what the kingdom of God was. Again, in the cultural, in the time, the kingdom of God to the Jewish audience would be any place in which God is reaching into the chaos of this world and bringing shalom or bringing wholeness. That's where the kingdom of God is. So whatever, wherever that is taking place on a large scale, on a small scale, that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand when those things are happening. And then Jesus says that that kingdom is near. And we talked about how it's so intimately near, it's like a husband and a wife, that kind of intimacy that's a beautiful intimacy. And Jesus is saying, it's that close to you. And then he says this, he says two things after that. As a result, literally it's because this is true, the gospel is being proclaimed, the kingdom of God it is at hand. And we talked about how it's here, but it's also coming in fulfillment. It's both and, right? Because if, we, if the kingdom of God was fully manifested, we'd all be on, on our 
our faces on the ground and our knees. And that day will come at some point. Revelation talks about that. But because this is true, because the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus then uses this word. He says that you need to repent. And what's interesting about that word repent is, I don't know about you, but when I grew up in the church, repent was often um, signified by a man standing on a corner with a bullhorn and a sign saying, repent or you go to hell. That's super attractive, right? Going to draw a lot of people. Um, And it's ironic because I've heard conversations with people who've had conversations with those who've stood faithfully on corners thinking they're doing the best that they can. And and I was reading through a book where a guy went to one of those guys holding the sign and the bullhorn and said, how much fruit have you borne from this? Or no, he said, how long have you been doing this? And the guy said, 20 years. He said, how many people have you seen come to Christ because of this faithfulness? You stand here with your sign and, and said what you said. And he's like, not one person. Oh, interesting. But in the classic sense of repent, within the church context, repent has been something like, you are worthless, scum, sinner, and you need to come to the Lord because you're going to hell. That is the good news of the gospel, according to some. But again, asking that question, well, what did Jesus mean when he uses the word repent? Because again, we can do whatever we want and twist it in any ways, and we have understandings from culture, but asking that question, what did Jesus mean when he uses the word repent? Because this is the word he says because the gospel that the kingdom of God is at hand, and therefore the gospel, the kingdom of God is at hand, and the only logical explanation now or response is this repentance response. So what does Jesus mean when he says the word and he uses the word repentance? Well, in the, in the Greek, I want to show you the Greek word for repentance. It's the word metanoia or metanoia, okay? That's the word that's used in the, the Greek, which is what um, the New Testament is written in, and it's what we have recorded Jesus saying, even though he could have said something more, most likely in Hebrew, of the equivalent, which would have been another word for another time. We could talk about that. But this is the word that's used, that Mark uses, that says that this is what Jesus said as a result of the fact the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is right in front of you. So this is the next logical step. Well, this word is actually two words brought together, right? And again, we don't really do that in English. They do that in German all the time. They make really funky, long, strung-out words. Um, Greek, in Greek, they do that as well. But metanoia is meta and noeo, two separate words. Meta means around or over or beyond. And noeo is of the mind. It's where we get our word knowledge from. That's how we spell it uh, phonetically. If you were to spell noeo um, phonetically, it's, it's a similar strand. But it's, this under, it's the understanding of the mind. It's how we see things. It's how we comprehend things. It's how we take things in. And so literally, metanoeo, of of what we get, the word repent means that you have to transform or turn around your thinking. That the way you think about things has to now change. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here. And in the kingdom of God, the way you used to see things and think about things is not going to work for you anymore. And so literally, there's this concept of you're introduced to something new or different, and metanoia is, wow, I see that difference in that thing. I look at the old way of thinking and realize that that no longer serves me or actually might have been detrimental to me on some level, and because of that, I turn from that old way of thinking into this new way of thinking because this is better. And so literally, that's where we get our idea or concept of repentance from because I'm turning away from this old way into this new way, which is a better definition of what repentance means anyway. And so that's exactly what metanoia means. And Jesus says this, the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore a transformation of how you see, understand, and think about absolutely everything has to change. Or you won't see it. You won't get it. You won't be able to move into it or live into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying here. When we realize that we've tried our own way and our own way hasn't worked, and so we need a new way of understanding and thinking. Now, if you think about something new that you've entered into, 
when you've tried to implement change in your life in some way. So some examples would be going to school, okay? Especially we look at our kids as they go back to school each year. Or if, when you, if you remember being dropped off at college. How many of you guys remember that experience? Where your parents left you, you went into your room and you cried, you came out of that, and you're like, I gotta figure this out. Because they're not coming back for me, right? Um, relationships, entering into different relationships require this element of change. But here's, here's part of the irony that we subconsciously live at and we may not necessarily name. We do the best we can in these new situations to make them as closely like the old situations as possible. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you with me on this? Don't we? So we're introduced into something new, right? A new, we start a new job. And what do we do? We look for familiarity. Why? Because that's what we know and we understand. And so we do the best we can to take what's familiar to us in light of this new situation, and we try and drag that new situation into what it used to be like. Because that's safe for us. And we know that. And we get that. Right? And so that's what we try and do. But what happens when we get to a place where the situation forces us into a new way of functioning because the old way of functioning actually can't serve us in any proper way in order to move forward? Like that new job that you got, you used to do things this way, but you started to do things that way, and all of a sudden you realize that's not working. And then you're forced into this, okay, what do I do now? I literally have to find a new way of doing this new thing, and all of a sudden, in order to do that, you have to begin to learn. You have to begin to open yourself up to new ways. In that moment, the, sh- the shell is being shed, oftentimes not by choice, oftentimes by sheer pain. And now you have to leave the old behind in order to embrace the new. You tracking with me? Okay. This is what Jesus is talking about. Again, sometimes this is by choice, most of the time it's not by choice, and oftentimes this growth and transformation happens as a direct result of pain and suffering in our lives. If you look back over massive transformation and change that you've gone through in your life, my guess is there's pain and suffering following closely behind or leading the way in front of you, just like with the lobster. It's the same concept, okay? Here's a great one. Do you remember when you became a parent for the first time, for those of you who have children? How many are with me in this? Okay. There is no book you can read (laughs) that will prepare you for being a parent. You have ideas and insights that will come, yeah, that's helpful, but when you're in the moment at two in the morning and your baby won't stop crying... I don't care what book you own. It's crisis mode. And in that moment, you're like, what do I do? And this is why the Lord gave us a partner to help us through this. And that's why it's so hard to be a single parent if you've had to be a single parent. But you remember, when your child was born for the first time, everything changes, doesn't it? It literally affects everything. Ask young moms what it was like to shower before they had a kid, and what it's like to shower with a kid. I remember the stories Anne would tell me. She'd lock the bathroom door, put the kid on the floor, go in as quickly as she could, and wait for the little hands to emerge and start to, what are you doing, mommy? When are you going to be done with that? Like, there is literally no sacred space in life, right? Can I get an amen for you? Yeah, all right, you're with me. But literally everything, how you eat changes, Your ability to use one hand becomes phenomenally amazing. I never knew I could do all these things with one hand so well. Because you literally lose one of your hands for, I don't know, eight months, period, whatever it might be. But especially, above all, sleep changes. It, it, It is amazing to know how one can function on so little sleep for an extended period of time. I mean... We never knew this to be true until children came into this world. It's amazing. I didn't know you could function as a zombie at a nine-to-five job for an extended period of time and still get paid for it. It's great. And that was the break. I got the break. I got to go to work and have a break, right? But the point is, 
there are moments like that that are built into our lives that I think are actually graces of God. I think marriage is a piece of that too, if you're, if you're doing it right, where you have to surrender part of yourself. You have to learn a new way of functioning and being with a whole other human being. And all of those is God teaching us little by little what it's like to walk with Him. If you take the image of, of being a parent, of, a, of the first-time parent of a young child, and all the change and transformation that has to take place within that, magnify that times a million and you get the kingdom of God and the change that has to happen in order to embrace the kingdom of God. Here's the issue. When we get to a point, if you reflect on your life and you look at how you used to be, and then you have this encounter with the Lord, and you've been a believer for filling the amount of time, if you, if you are walking with Jesus, if your life before doesn't look radically different than your life after that experience, something's wrong. That's harsh. I get it. But it's true. That's the kind of transformation that God is inviting us into. That's what the living in the kingdom of God does to us on a molecular level beyond what we can imagine. That's the kind of change and transformation that Jesus is saying, that's what has to happen if you want to step into this kingdom of God I'm talking about, which is actually the good news. And so we're invited into this. We're invited into this total surrender in every way we know to be true. A turning from our old way into this new way of thinking and seeing, and a lot of it has to do with the mind. And that process, the Jews would call conversion. That's what conversion looks like. So I step into this relationship with Jesus, and absolutely everything should be transformed and changed. And everything I knew to be true and knew to hold on to, and I understood about the world and myself and who God is, has to be left behind in order to embrace what God is trying to show me. But just like we do in every other case, when we come to faith, what we usually do is we, we want to drag everything with us into that because we want to hold on to certain things of our life that God's inviting us to let go of. And, and oftentimes those things are, are not only unhealthy but detrimental, especially the sin in our life. But very quickly God begins to show that to us and invite us to, to lay that down and surrender that and step into what he has because always what he has is better than what we left behind. But it's not easy. And I think we all know that to be true on, on, on one level or another, but here's where it gets challenging. We have to do it again and again and again. A year into my walk with God should be another molting of a shell and letting go. Five years into my walk with God, 20 years into my walk with God. And so if, you, if I came and I said, tell me about the last molting of shell you had, and you have a hard time figuring out what that is, something's not right. That should be an ongoing process that we enter into and go through until we're face-to-face with Jesus. And we no longer need a shell anymore. Because the container that we create to hold the presence of God, we don't need a container anymore because we're, we're there. Are you with me? Are you following me? Does that make sense? So this is the invitation. But faith does not come from the mind. Faith comes from the heart, from believing. That's what the scriptures tell us. But the mind is an absolutely crucial battleground that has to be won over. See, if, if, I, if I give my life to Christ... But my mind, but I don't surrender that peace in my mind, then, then I'm just going to be at war with what God wants for me in my life. Because I'm going to get, and, and we do this all the time, and, and I'm, I'm not standing here saying that I've arrived and I don't struggle with this anymore because I still struggle with this. But when the, when the mind is not transformed, or as Paul says in Romans 12 too, renewed, same thing. What Jesus talks about, Paul talks about in, in Romans 12 too. The renewed mind is the transformed mind, is metanoia. It's the same thing. Okay? If the mind never gets renewed, then the mind will constantly be at war with the things of God. Because the things of God often do not make sense. 
And the things of God are often offensive to our minds. And we come into these situations and we expect to understand. This is, this is just human nature. So again, if you struggle with this, I struggle with this. We're in this together. But God says, I want to move in this way. And you go, well, that doesn't make sense to me. And I can tell you time and time again where the Lord has invited me to do something and I have reasoned it away because I didn't understand it. I didn't know it. It was too scary. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't have the faith to know that if I stepped into this thing that God would meet me in this thing. Because as I saw it, it didn't see, I didn't see it working out. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. And so the, that's why the mind has to be transformed. That's why the mind has to be surrendered. That's why the mind has to be let go. And, and again, the Lord gave us minds. Minds are great things, but God wants every part of who we are. He wants not just our hearts, but He wants our minds. He wants our bodies. He wants our eyes and our ears, our tongues. He wants all of it because He wants to use all of it so that not only could we experience that kingdom, but then we get to a radical point where we actually partake in advancing that kingdom, which is the next step. Amen, Pastor Jimmy. Amen. This is the journey we're all on. This is the invitation that we have. Okay? And this is why Christianity is not called the understanding, it is called the faith. Is it not? It's not about understanding at all, because you won't. That will never happen. You will always wrestle at some level because that's who we are. But God wants us to begin to think like He does. God wants us, our, our transformation, our minds to get to an extent where we begin to live our lives and so we begin to say, in this situation I'm in, how, what does God see this? How does the Lord see this? When this person that I'm before, how does the Lord see them? Because if I see them the way I see them, I will, I'll just shift into judgmental mode. Because that's what we do as human beings. But that's not how God sees them. So I have to learn to begin to, to say, how do we do that? Because the renewed mind is not a new philosophical approach to a problem. It's a reality of a whole other world trying to wake its way into our lives and our beings. Does that make sense? Okay. We're not trying to actually changing the way we think. It's not just a transformation of the way we think. We're literally letting go of everything so that we can receive this thing that we've never experienced before. And the only way to experience and to receive something you've never experienced before is to step into it. There is no full understanding before we enter into obedience. We have to step into it first, and as we step into it, then we will begin to understand how it works and how it moves. And Brian talked about this when he preached several weeks ago when Brian and Carrie were up here. And it was brilliant. That was essentially what he said. You can read all the books you want about God. But until you put yourself in a place where you say, you say the kingdom of God is here and at hand and right before me, even though I don't see it. I'm going to take that leap of faith and believe you, Lord, that, you, that what you say is true. And as you begin to do that, God begins to show you that kingdom, piece at a time, step by step. One of our, our, our former elders has this saying that he'd always say to us whenever we'd, we'd be in this meeting, we're trying to discern something and figure it out, and he, he went to a missions conference at some point, um, this is Dean, and, and he remembers this from years ago. That somebody at the missions conference shared this, and it just struck his heart in such a challenging way. And Dean's a head guy. Of all the people I know, man, he's, he's extremely intelligent. That's a gift, and it's a, it's a curse at the same time when it comes to faith. But what they said is, you have to get on the train before the Lord gives you the ticket to ride. That doesn't make sense to any, in any level. Would you ever do that in any case? No. I was traveling at some point, and I got on the, on the train, and I'd say, and the guy, conductor came around and said, where's your ticket? It's okay. The Lord's going to give it to me at some point. And yet, that's how God works. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Whenever I've trusted God, it's always been, you trust me. You have faith, what Jesus says, believe, right? Transform the way you think, and you understand how I work and how I operate and how the kingdom of God functions, and believe is that second piece that he says. Whenever I've done that, 
It's always been a stepping out into this unknown. And in that unknown, God meets me every single time. Every single time. I've never fallen on my face in a long-term way. I've fallen on my face plenty of times, but it's always been a part of the process of the long-term teaching of what God has for me. This is what Jesus says in Mark 2.22. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So Jesus is making this statement, ironically, and he's talking about this. He's having a conversation with John's disciples and with the Pharisees, and there's things that are going on around fasting and around washing people's hands that seem like this big no-no to all the religious people. They're like, whoa, 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 you can't do that. And Jesus is like, I'm trying to show you something new and different. They're like, mm, can't do that. Why? The shell is too hard. They're being invited to surrender the shell and move on and grow a new shell. And they're like, they don't even know, probably they have a shell, and they don't even know that it's possible to grow a new one. And so Jesus makes this statement. He talks about wine and wineskins, something that the, everyone in the culture would have understood. And as he talks about this, it was fascinating to reflect on this passage because new wine is a new way of thinking. It's a new way of functioning. It's a new way of acting and living and seeing and understanding. And old wineskins were containers. So a wineskin was a container that you poured wine into and you carried that wine from where you're going. And they drink wine like we drink Coke. Okay? Super common. But an old wineskin hardens after time. You don't get to be an old wineskin unless you're old. Okay? Makes perfect sense. I don't know what the period of, of new wineskin to old wineskin is from where it becomes shifts from new to old. But at some point, you become old. It's a, it's a container, but that container actually gets hardened in how it, it works. And so if you pour old wine into that old container, it works great. But there's something about new wine that's different than old wine. See, new wine is still like in that fermentation process. And as it's in that fermentation process, it's expanding and changing, and it requires a container that can expand and, can, and, and hold it at the same time. And Jesus says, if you pour all this new wine into an old wineskin, then the new wine will still do what the new wine does, but it will actually damage the container because that container can't hold it. And so it actually bursts at the seams, and then you waste the container, and you waste the new wine. Both are lost. So there's something that Jesus says about the containers that we have and how we hold things, how we go about holding things. And so one of the things I invite us to reflect on is what kind of container are we? Are we an old container or are we a new container? It has nothing to do with your age. It has everything to do with your openness and your willingness we as a church community have experienced new wine here. And for some of us, it's been really challenging and really hard because our containers are still brittle and they're formed in their fashion and you worked really hard on those containers. So well done, okay? And I, and I know many of you and I know how hard you've worked on your walk with the Lord. But that container that you're carrying currently won't hold what is coming next. And the... And the options are you keep your container, which cannot hold what the Lord wants to give you, and so both will be destroyed, and that will be a very painful process. Or you begin to come to a place where you can surrender, as scary as that sounds, and as vulnerable as that makes you, and puts you in a place where you're like, I don't know what to do next. I, don't, I thought I understood who God was. I thought I understood how the Spirit of God moved. I thought I, I really knew what Jesus was like, but, but this old way of, of, or just my way, is not working. And so you can either push back and not receive, or you can begin to say, Father, help me let this go. As scary as that is, for as much as I don't understand it, how do I surrender it? And again, God is so gracious with us. 
The only time he rips things out of our hands is if we hold them like this. And literally, the Lord will break your fingers because he loves you enough to do it. And that seems painful, that seems sadistic, but it's actually out of grace and mercy. But God will also honor this at the same time because we don't have a God that forces himself on us. He's patient and he'll wait. He'll wait and he'll begin to bring things into our lives that force us to open our hands, that force us to surrender the old ways because he doesn't want to leave us in the state that we're in. No matter where you're at now, you are not at the final stage, which is a gift. And Jesus calls this new wine. And so we need to begin to form new wineskins to handle the new wine to begin to enter into this kingdom that the Lord is inviting us into that's already at hand, but many of us don't see or experience because we lack the capacity to do so. But yet, that's where God is calling every one of us, each and every one of us. Because guess what? You worship a God that created the universe, that brings people back to life, that brings about forgiveness of sins, that makes lame people walk and blind people see, and you Those are radical things that don't make sense up here. And then it gets even more intense when when Jesus, the creator of all things, stops and he says to his people, all power and authority has been given to me. And I'm handing it off to you to go and do the exact things that I did. So what Jesus says to his disciples, to those who follow Jesus, those who've committed themselves to him. That's what he says that we are to do. There's no way we're going to do that unless we begin to surrender the old ways and say, okay, maybe, just maybe, if I lay hands on this person and pray, that God can actually transform this current situation that I find myself in and they find themselves in. And that's how God wants to do it. Not alone, but through you and through me, through us, through his church. That's mind-blowing. Literally, your mind has to be blown in order to step into those things. It cannot stay the same. You cannot step into that situation and try and make that situation like some other experience you have because you don't have any other experience of that. Because that doesn't happen anywhere else except through Jesus. Right? Not that I'm aware of. And so only through that path do we begin to experience what the Lord has for us. This renewed mind, this transformation of thinking. Here's one of the things that I read that has stuck with me. Most Christians repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough to experience the kingdom of God on earth. I know, right? That's intense. But meeting Jesus was only the first step. It's the doorway into this new reality, but many of us stop at the doorway after we've met Jesus and we don't step into this kingdom of God that that Jesus is talking about because the church doesn't talk about the kingdom of God nearly enough. Or if it does, it doesn't use that language. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this invitation of this next thing? Number one, we need to practice repentance on a regular basis. It should be a normal part of our life. We need to come to a point where we need to realize God is inviting me into this new thing over and over again. It's not a once and done thing. The capacity of how big the kingdom of God is is incomprehensible. And if the Lord were to show it to us, we would never go there. Because we'd be too overwhelmed by it. So in his grace, he shows us pieces of it. And we step into that piece. And then it gets a, a little, and then it expands. Because that's what the kingdom does. And then we step into that piece. And then it expands again. And then we step into that piece. And, and slowly but surely, the old way of thinking begins to be, be less and less. And this new way begins to be more and more. And the freedom just flows from that place. And it's a beautiful thing. But the old container has to die in order to receive what God has for us. You cannot hold on to the old. You cannot put new wine into old wineskins. It is not possible. Both will be destroyed. 
Number two, we need to begin to believe. That's what Jesus says, repent and believe. We need to begin to believe, to have faith that what Jesus said is true. We need to go back and we need to read those stories and those accounts of how Jesus functioned and acted with people. And then we need to read the parts that specifically say, now you go do it. Now you go do it. And they actually believe that we can. Because we can. God wouldn't say it to us if it weren't true. Right? And because he said it, it is true. But that truth only becomes our reality when we're willing to step into that reality. If you want to experience it here and now. You'll experience it someday. But if you want to experience it here and now, and you can experience it here and now, that's the invitation that has to be lived out. Either what God said is true or it's not. And if it is true, then it's the invitation of our new reality that we're invited to step into. And then finally, we need to step into the reality. Again, you can read all the books you want on parenting, but until that child comes into this world, your reality radically changes. The same is true with the kingdom of God. You can know in your mind all there is to know about the kingdom and how God works and how God functions, but until you take that step of faith where you're relying and trusting on God. It's the cliff image that God gave us as in our vision process. And it's, we were talking about this on our staff retreat. We had an absolutely beautiful time together as a staff, praying and seeking the Lord's face. And I'm really excited to share with you guys what comes out of that, but it, we're not quite done with it yet. So when we get there, I'll share it with you. But one of the images that came forward was the cliff. We held up those images before us the entire time. The mask and the mirror, the cliff, the orchard, What's the fourth one? The table. All beautiful images. But over and over, and the cliff image is not a once and done. It's not a stepping off and then, and then oh, I, I jumped off and I'm good. No, and then there's another cliff that's a little bit higher. And then there's another cliff that's a little bit higher. It's the same image as the lobster that we're invited into. But we have to shed the shell in order to experience radical change and transformation. And, and in that shedding is where we feel like we're the most vulnerable. But at the same time, that's when we are the most held by God. Because we don't have a shell to contain. We don't have a container anymore. We've let that container go. And in that unknowing, God is holding us until we form a new container. And we need containers as human beings. Containers aren't bad. They serve a purpose. But if we look to the container instead of looking to the Lord then we're off what we should be doing. This reality only unfolds as we step into it. And as you step into it and you begin to rely on God, again, that's when the ticket is handed to you, after you get on the train. This is what we're going to do this morning for communion. We're going to take communion together. Um, we're going to do it a little bit differently. If you're visiting with us, uh, we have... what what the church calls an open table. There's no restrictions. All are welcome. No matter who you are, where you've been, where you're at in your walk with the Lord, if, even if you don't know Jesus yet, God invites everybody to the table. But what we're going to do is this. I'm going to invite you to come to the table to get uh, a piece of bread and the cup and take it back to your seat with you and hold it. And we are going to, and then I'm going to lead us through a time of prayer, of repentance, of surrendering our old way of thinking, of surrendering our inability to let go. And we're going to do that as we hold these elements, these crucial elements of the cup and the bread, these symbols of the, of the body and the blood of Christ, the very things and the only thing that allows us to go through this transformation process. Without this, it's not possible. Not possible. Without the, the shedding of blood and the piercing of the body, that's where life comes from. That's where transformation comes from. And so we have tables set up all throughout the sanctuary. We have two up here. We have one over there. We have two stations over there. And this, we're just going to do this in silence. And just, we'll just line up, come up, grab a cup, grab a piece of bread. I think we have gluten-free over there if you need gluten-free. Take that, just in quiet, come back to your seat.
And when we're all back to our seats and sitting, I'm just gonna lead us through a time of reflection and prayer. And then together we'll take communion, okay? Everybody got it? If you don't know what's going on, look at the person to your left or your right and just follow them, all right? So I invite you to, to the table. Come and grab the body and the blood of Christ. Hold on to it and sit back in your seat. This is the body and the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And as we go to prayer, to keep in mind physically, you're holding this thing. And because of this, we're able to pray what we're about to pray. So hang on to those things. And I'm just going to lead you through a time of prayer. Some of it will be guided. Some of it, I'll just encourage you to, to talk to God on your own. And then we, when we get to the other side of that, we'll partake together in the body and the blood of Christ. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to invite you to just repeat after me to yourself. And again, I, I invite you to do this if, if this is true for you. I don't want to coerce you or manipulate you into anything. I want you to make it your own prayer. And it to come from not only your heart, but your mind. And some of you might have to pray these prayers without a full understanding of what it means that you're praying or what comes next as a result. That's part of the invitation. Father, we thank you for who you are. Father, I thank you for who you've made me to be. I thank you for how much you love me. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for me, for forgiveness of sins. thank you that the shedding of blood brings freedom into my life. Father, you are inviting me into your kingdom. The kingdom of God. And it is right before me. inviting me to step into it and live out of it. Father, you ask me to repent so that I may live in this kingdom. Father, thank you for helping me to understand that I need to change the way I think and live and be in order to step into this new reality. Father, would you forgive me for my old ways of thinking and understanding you that have not been adequate? I want to give you just a moment with the Lord right now to continue on that vein, talking to God about your thought process, your old ways of understanding, the things that have caught you up, the things that you've held you back, the things that you haven't been able to surrender. Just come before the Lord right now with those things. I want to encourage you even to speak them out loud. Father, I surrender my heart 
and my mind and my old ways to you. Father, I surrender the box, the container, the shell that I have created that it has attempted to hold you. I give that over to you right now. Spirit, would you reveal to me what I need to do next in order to enter into this new way of understanding? Just sit before the Lord and ask that question. The Spirit of God will speak to you and tell you exactly what needs to take place. You might hear something that you don't want to hear. I hear something that is hard. It's probably around a letting go or a surrendering of some sort. Just receive what God has for you. Don't be afraid of it. Holy Spirit, what do I need to surrender to step into the kingdom of God? Whatever comes forward, I just invite you to hand that to the Lord. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus. That's where it belongs. That's what needs to happen in order to step into this new life that God wants to take you into. Father, give me the courage to believe in what you say is true. Father, reveal even this week or maybe even today your kingdom to me in new ways. so grateful for your goodness for your faithfulness for the message that you came to tell us about the kingdom of God that is right before us that you are a loving God and ushers us into it that you have work still to be done for your children that Lord we have not done well in being able to move on from our old ways so Lord we repent of that May we become a people that grows accustomed to this posture of repentance. Of setting down the old ways, of realizing what we've tried before doesn't work. And saying, Lord, here I am. I open myself to whatever you have for me. We're so grateful for that, Lord. Take us deeper into yourself. Holy Spirit, fill us and guide us. Show us the kingdom. Show us what we need to do to step into it. And meet us when we are there. So that we can be a part of advancing it. We ask all these things in the name of the resurrected Christ, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. And the same night he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the shedding of my blood for the forgiveness of sins. So let us partake together in the body and the bread of Jesus. Let's stand. A couple things I want to share with you. Um, first, last, last uh, week we had the opportunity to honor our volunteers. I know not everybody was here. We we're so grateful for you and your service at Washington. We have uh, cards for you over there on the table as well as a mug. I just want to encourage you to go and grab one um, and uh, take it home with you. 
It's a small token of just saying thank you to you. Um, and if you're not connected or serving in some way at Washington, we'd love to get you in, in connected and, and serving. So come see me, see somebody on staff. Um, also tonight, I know it's Father's Day. It's not great timing. We have an encounter night. Um, I would encourage you to come if you can. But we're having um, a missionary from Thailand come, and I'm really excited to hear what she has to, to share with us. The way they see the world and experience things over there is much different spiritually than we do. And we need to wake up and have a more realization. So I'm really hoping that she comes and shares some of that. She'll also be around with her husband to answer questions and to, to teach us some things. And we're going to pray for each other tonight. So that's also happening tonight, 530 in the chapel on the other side of that wall. Uh, finally, before the benediction, I need to introduce Jackson to you. Tiki, you want to bring Jackson up here? This is the youngest, newest person of Washington Church, Jackson. They're getting to experience this new parenting thing for the first time. Teague asked me if I was going to do the Simba thing. I said, absolutely. So <clears throat> here's Jackson. So let's say uh, the benediction together. We'll put it up on the screen. Let's read it together. We are a community of disciples of Jesus Christ, embodying the power and the giftings of the Holy Spirit, cultivating space for healing, living in and expanding God's kingdom on earth. Go in peace. Step into that kingdom and live out of that truth. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.